0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.
1: China and Western countries have been squabbling over exchange rates for years. The United States and many other countries accuse China of buying dollars to keep China's currency weaker than it would be otherwise. That makes Chinese goods cheaper in other countries, and it makes it more expensive for the Chinese to buy from foreigners. In the United States, politicians and regulators say China's policy undermines exports, costing American jobs. Knowledge at Wharton has invited Professor Franklin Allen, professor of finance, to explain what's at stake and why this conflict is so hard to resolve. Uh, The first thing that I've noticed in this is that uh, the China currency issue is one of the few things that Democrats and Republicans seem to agree on. And I'm curious whether you believe that China's
2: manipulating its currency. So I think manipulation is an emotive word. They're doing what many countries have done through much of history, which is to fix their exchange rate relative to another currency. And through much of the Bretton Woods period, of course, this is what pretty much every country did. It's what the Europeans are doing to an extreme degree in the Euro, but it's not too much different than what they did in the exchange rate mechanism before the Euro was introduced, and it's not too much different from what the entrants into the Euro have to do before they actually enter properly and fix um, the exchange rate. So I, I think manipulation is the wrong word. They're fixing their exchange rate for sure.
1: And uh, I gather that the, the, the intent is to keep uh, the Chinese currency weaker uh, in, in relation to the dollar, uh, or is that, is that right? And, and what's, the, what's the reason for doing that? How do they
2: benefit? So this is a complicated question. Originally, I think it's for the same reason that European countries wanted the euro. If you, if you want to export, it's good to have a fixed exchange rate, and China – thought that this was something that was beneficial for them some time ago. Over time, we've evolved. And I think we're now in, in a rather different position. So originally, they didn't run big surpluses. They didn't have big reserves. But then what's happened over time is that, particularly after the Asian crisis, many countries have built up big reserves. So the Chinese are by no means the only ones. If you look at the smaller countries like South Korea and countries like that, they've also built up reserves. I think there are many reasons for that. Part of it was that the way that the IMF treated Asian countries in the 1997 Asian crisis led them to believe that because the governance structure is dominated by the Europeans and the Americans, the Asians, don't get a fair look in. I think their response to that has been, we need to have reserves instead. And this is one big reason for the reserves. I think for the Chinese, in addition, they've realized over time that reserves give them a very great deal of political power with respect to the U.S. So when President Obama goes to visit, he's very polite. He doesn't mention too many things about human rights and so forth because we owe them two and a half trillion. The other reason, which is the one that's given a lot of play in the press, is that by doing this by keeping the exchange rate low, they're making it easier for their exporters. And I think there's some truth to that, but I think that it's much more complicated than is usually presented.
1: And and just give us a couple examples of what are the complicating factors that we don't usually consider.
2: Well, I think when the U.S. or the Europeans say what you need to do is to let it move, it's not clear what the, the, the short-term rate would be or the medium-term rate or the long-term rate if they simply allowed it to float. It's true that there's a deficit on the current account at the moment. That's been there for a few years now, but there's also the capital account. And whereas I'm sure there's lots of money wanting to get into China because they perceive the RMB to be a strong currency, I think that the reverse is also true. There's a lot of money that wants to get out of China. First of all, Chinese people don't have many instruments to invest in, and that would give them some money more if they could take their money out. And also, of course, there's the political reason that if you want to hedge the risk, if you think that we may have problems in China going forward, then also they may want to take money out. In the short run, it's not clear which of those balances would dominate. And in the medium term, the long run, it's not so clear either, given differences in inflation rates and so on. So it, it's more complex than it's portrayed. My own view is that probably in the long run, the RMB will strengthen, and it probably is a good long-term invest in, investment. So I think the, 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 there would be differences from now.
1: If the Western view is, is often overly simplified, I'm just curious whether it's possible the
2: Chinese view is overly simplified as well. Well, the problem is now, I think, you know, if you take the long-run view, it's... Ironically, both countries are on the wrong side because what the Chinese essentially are doing is giving us goods, real things, for pieces of paper, in other words, dollars. We're getting to consume it. They're getting pieces of paper whose value is very uncertain in the long run. Even if you think that there will be a revaluation of 20%, given their reserves are now about, 50% or more of GDP, if we had a 20% appreciation in the RMB, they're gonna lose about 10% of GMP. This is an enormous loss for them. It's about the same as trade for a year. Their net contribution of trade is about 10% of GDP. So this is a sense in which they're running a big risk, but it's also the sense in which when we say, okay, you need to let it float, What we're doing is essentially going against our consumer interests. People always talk about jobs and the necessity of saving jobs, but these are relatively short-term interests, at least in normal times, compared to these long-run interests of them giving us goods at below price and us giving them dollars in, in exchange.
1: Now, uh, the the mechanics of influencing exchange rates is more complex than just saying this is what we want it to be. Uh, can you just briefly give us a glimpse into how it's done, it's purchasing U.S. Treasuries or whatever it is?
2: This process is- so essentially they go out and they purchase U.S. Treasuries. Oh, so What happens is there's either current account surplus or some inflow of dollars into, their, into China. So the central bank gets dollars and they give people who have exported, say, RMB in exchange. They then go out and sterilize those, which means they increase bank reserves or they sell government bonds so they don't have inflation in China. And what the net result of all this is, is that they end up with a lot of foreign reserves and they have offsetting debt. Now, in the long run, as I say, this is not good for them. It's very risky. And what they need to do is to change it to get rid of this process and move towards having the RMB as a reserve currency. We need the RMB to be like the euro and the dollar and for them to be able to behave in the same way that the US and the Europeans do. They don't need reserves if they have a reserve currency. And that will make everything much easier and avoid all these problems that we've been talking about.
1: And this process that you've described, uh, the, the, the result in the end is that it, it affects the balance of supply and demand of dollars, uh, and, and that, that affects the exchange rate.
2: It does, exactly. Th-
1: this issue is, is one of those things that, that sort of comes up you hear about it, it's a big thing in the news, uh, there may be some meeting or some uh, US official will give a speech and there's a we're all in a tizzy for a while and then it kind of dies down and then it comes back again. How important is it
2: really? So I think the exchange rate issue in itself is not that important in the medium term. I think in the long run, it's very important they move to being a reserve currency. But the problem is we've now got politics involved and the Americans and the Europeans demanding that the Chinese change their policies is not a good way to go because the Chinese won't do it simply for the reason that we're asking them to do it. I think they realize that in the long run they need to move towards having the RMB as a reserve currency. They're doing many things in that direction. For example, they're beginning to clear trade in RMB. They're allowing RMB issues in Hong Kong by foreign corporations like McDonald's. These are all moves towards having the RMB as an international currency. The one thing that remains is to have an open capital account and a completely flexible exchange rate. They know that they should do that, but the more we tell them to do it, the less likely they're going to do it. A good example of how much they dislike being told what to do was provided by the border dispute that they're having in the East China Sea, in particular with Japan, and the fact that they were so strident in cancelling the visit by the thousand youths to Shanghai, high for the Expo by the Prime Minister making speeches, after a very short time, shows how willing they are to be aggressive in these kinds of issues. And I think if we try and push them, we won't be able to. And our position is basically the weaker one, because we're the ones that owe them the two and a half trillion. If they start selling and moving money into euros or into any of these other currencies, we're quite vulnerable, I think.
1: No, nobody likes to be bullied.
2: Right, and the Chinese have 150 years of being bullied by the West, and this is something that they feel very strongly about.
1: In the West, I I sometimes wonder whether uh, blaming China for for problems is just a convenient way of not admitting that you're causing your own problems. Is, Is that part of what's going
2: on here? I think that is part of what's going on here, I think. We don't save enough. We rely too much on being able to issue, issue dollars and borrow. And this is a long-run problem. We need to start being more like the Germans and being more fiscally responsible. And hopefully these problems will then go away. I, I don't think we are doing our part. We're trying to insist that the Chinese do theirs. But I, I think we've got into this very bad position now. And what
1: do you think are the prospects that this could escalate into a trade war and a protectionist era that that would be damaging to everybody?
2: I think it's quite likely that we will get into a situation not of trade wars. I think that the the, uh, WTO is sufficiently strong that, whereas we won't make much progress, I don't think we'll go backwards. But I do think it's quite likely that governments will start intervening as they already have done in Japan and many other Asian countries and that this is not a good thing. We're already printing too much money with quantitative easing. The last thing we need is for these Asian countries to also be printing money to keep currencies down.
1: And if you were to look around the world and say this is the organization or the country or the head of state or whatever that is in a position to do something to break this logjam Uh, who would that be?
2: I think the Americans and the Europeans need to back off on this issue. I think the people who can solve it in the long term is the next generation of Chinese leaders. So when the new president and the new prime minister come in, I think that they will hopefully look very hard at this problem, realize that having the RMB as a reserve currency Is a very important thing in the long run for China and that they will then go about dismantling these exchange controls and having it float but we're a long way from there unfortunately we'll we'll have to be very patient I guess thank you very much thank you Jeff
1: China and Western countries have been squabbling over exchange rates for years The United States and many other countries accuse China of buying dollars to keep China's currency weaker than it would be otherwise. That makes China's goods cheaper in other countries, and it makes it more expensive for the Chinese to buy from foreigners. In the United States, politicians and regulators say China's policies undermine exports, costing American jobs. Knowledge at Wharton has invited Professor Mauro Gillen to explain what's at stake and why this conflict is so hard to resolve. Is it true that China's currency policy is costing American jobs?
0: Well, it is true, uh, but at the same time, it's not accurate. It is true insofar as uh, you know, um, it is uh, harder for American companies uh, to sell in China if uh, uh, domestic consumption in China doesn't take off. And one of the reasons why it's not taking off is because the uh, their currency is undervalued, right, artificially. Um, But uh, the other thing that one uh, must uh, keep in mind is that uh, the Chinese uh, weakness uh, in terms of uh, their currency is also affecting uh, the competitiveness of uh, U.S. exports in other markets, like in Japan. I was stunned to read the other day an article, a very well-done article uh, in an economics journal, showing that the overlap between American uh, exports to Japan and Chinese exports to Japan is exactly 87%. Uh, which is astonishing. That means that uh, uh, Chinese producers and American producers are actually competing with each other in third markets, such as, for example, Japan. Um, So I think it is true. Now, by the same token, it is not true because, uh, you see, countries really can both benefit from global economic exchange. So China and the United States don't really compete against each other. American companies and Chinese companies compete, right? Companies compete, countries can actually both win. So I think uh, the the way to frame the debate right now should be how can both China and the US benefit from the global economy?
1: One of the, there's been so much uh, sort of hue and cry over this that I'm curious whether uh, the countries that are criticizing China, uh, to what extent they have a legitimate complaint? And to what extent is just convenient to point the finger at China and tell your people that it's China that's causing this problem? You're absolutely
0: correct. It is convenient, uh, you know, to ask somebody else to revalue their currency because that automatically, you know, within, uh, you know, 24 hours essentially makes your own products and services more competitive uh, in the uh, the global economy. So it is convenient from that point of view. And having said that, uh, you know, Unfortunately, the Chinese currency is not traded in the markets, so we don't know for sure what its value should be, but I think there is wide agreement that its value should be higher than uh, what it is uh, right now. But let me also add that what is really complicated and matters is that there's a lot of uncertainty as to what the relationship will be between the dollar and the euro. Um, Because, you know, there are large deficits here in the United States. Uh, There are problems, political problems in Europe. Uh, You know, it is um, still a question mark whether European countries uh, that are members in the uh, Euro system are going to be able to, uh, 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 you know, continue having a common currency or not. So I can also understand the Chinese. The Chinese don't want to make a move when there is so much uncertainty as to the relationship between the other two important currencies in the world. Um, Because they could, uh, you know, make a mistake, right, if they choose to revalue, let's say, by a certain amount relative to the dollar. But that also will change the way in which China relates to the eurozone, right? So given that there is so much uncertainty right now, I think it is the wrong moment uh, from the Chinese point of view to engage in a realignment.
1: So that sounds a little like the classic chicken and egg problem, and and what do you think it'll take to break through that and get some resolution that everybody
0: can live with? Well one option is to try to uh, organize once again the um, coordinated action that took place back in 1985 with the Plaza Accord. At the time if you remember the G7, China was not a player because China actually was not a very important economic power at the time. Uh, the G7, though, got together and they decided to intervene in the markets so that the dollar value, the value of the dollar would slide very, very slowly, right? And, uh, and it did drop in value by 30, by 40 percent within, uh, you know, 18 months. And that was needed because the U.S. was, again, running big deficits and had a problem with competitiveness. And that really, uh, you know, helped uh, um, everybody overcome the uh, many problems that uh, were beset in the global economy back then. So today, what uh, I think is the best uh, case uh, scenario is that uh, not the G7, but we need the G7 plus China, perhaps also India and Russia, right? But, but especially China, they need to come together and uh, they need to come up with some uh, coordinated action. And right now, I think, uh, you know, the four main players, um, because those are the four big currencies in the world are, uh, so the U.S. with the dollar, the Chinese with the renminbi, uh, the Japanese with the yen, and the Europeans with the euro. And what is the Chinese incentive
1: to accommodate the rest of the world on this?
0: Well, in the short run, uh, they really don't have an incentive because the Chinese government needs the economy to keep on growing. And the Chinese economy grows because of exports. So they have a very strong disincentive to, uh, you know, revalue their currency because that would hurt their exports. Uh, Medium run, right, so let's say three to five years or long run, 10, 15 years. It is in the best interest of the Chinese to actually do this. Why? Because China is getting richer. And as China gets richer, uh, you would uh, expect, which is what happened with other countries, that exports would uh, decline as an engine right, for economic growth and the domestic market would start you know, being more important, just as, as, as has happened in the United States or has happened in Germany, you know, way back. That's the development of a consumer, a more
1: consumer-driven of the consumer economy. Market.
0: But in China's case, there's another complication, which is that not all the Chinese population is enjoying the fruits of economic growth. So you have 300 million people who are now middle class, or, and some of them are really rich, right? But then you have another 600 or 700 million in the rural areas who are still living in poverty. Uh, So the Chinese uh, approach to the problem is complex, uh, out of necessity, because they are facing a very complicated issue. And for them, timing is very important. That's why I'm saying that in the short run, maybe, you know, next week or in two weeks from now, it doesn't make that much sense for the Chinese to give in to the pressure. Uh, Let's say three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, China, of course, has to develop its domestic market and has to, you know... Uh, move in the direction that the Americans and the Europeans are now asking China to move.
1: Now, instead of the uh, G7, we're often talking about the G20 uh, these days and their meeting in November. Do you expect any kind of breakthrough there or progress of any kind?
0: Uh, well, uh, I hope so, uh, but I'm pessimistic. I think the G20 is, uh, you know, the, the, the very name of the, uh, of the group uh, indicates it is just too large. It's very difficult to make 20 uh, parties agree to anything. The G7 was already very large, just imagine the G20. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the key players here are the United States, China, Japan, and the Eurozone, right? Uh, And uh, as long as those four can come to some kind of an agreement, uh, then I think we will be in good shape. But that agreement has not Uh, you know, become a reality yet.
1: Now, are are the Eurozone and the U.S. and Japan, are they of one mind on this or are there divisions there as well?
0: No, there are divisions. And I think uh, what happened last week with Japan's intervention to, uh, you know, try to uh, uh, slow down the appreciation of the yen uh, demonstrates that in the absence of some kind of a uh, four-way agreement, okay, then each of these uh, countries, uh, U.S., China, Japan, and the European yeah, the monetary union, will try to go its own way and defend its own interests. And of course, that can be detrimental uh, to global economic growth. Uh, remember that uh, the problem with the present situation is that we're coming out of a crisis, right? Uh, and uh, the imbalances that led to the crisis in the first place with big deficits in some parts of the world and big surpluses in other parts of the world have not been addressed, right? So we continue to have this structural problem and, uh, you know, politically, it's going to be hard uh, because, once again, nobody wants to, uh, uh, at least until now, uh, wants to give up something, right, in exchange for an agreement um, because there's so much uncertainty as to, you know, uh, when the global economy will start growing again in a robust way. Uh, we have the U.S. and Europe um, you know, with high unemployment, uh, the political stakes are very high. This is part of the problem.
1: Now, is this situation slowing the world's recovery from the last Oh, recession? I think it is.
0: I think it is. And it is also, um, you know, I think it is fair to say that it is also uh, keeping the probability of yet another problem, farther down the road, relatively high. So we need to address these imbalances in the global economy. Uh, we need to uh, find a way for the Chinese to feel more at ease with their new role in global economic affairs, and that we certainly need to help them make the transition from being a poor developing country uh, and becoming one, you know, one of the leading economies in the world uh, with a vibrant domestic market based on middle-class consumption. So
1: uh, to summarize, you uh, are not optimistic. There's going to be any immediate breakthrough, but down the road, it'll be in the Chinese interests. Uh, to accommodate other uh, Yes, I just
0: uh, don't think that right now, given the uncertainty in the markets, uh, that it's going to be easy for these four you know, big uh, economies in the world to come to an agreement. Um, but I, you know, I tend to think that uh, in two or three years from now, it will be easier. But I'm, uh, you know, I stand ready to, uh, to be surprised by our political leaders. Well, we'll all be keeping a close eye on it. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me.